Uh, today begins the Advent season, the traditional church calendar, um, the four weeks that are leading up to Christmas when we celebrate the Incarnation. Would you like to sit with me, Wesley? If you can stay quiet, you can sit next to me. All right. Um, uh, when we celebrate the Incarnation, God becoming human in Jesus, Jesus shows us that um, God is fundamentally different than the expectations most would have for a God. God is not distant, high atop a mountain, removed from human affairs. Uh, God is not self-interested and annoyed by the plight of our planet, but God is is close, deeply invested, a fellow sufferer, and we are invited to participate in this God's loving solidarity with all people and all things, particularly those neglected or forgotten or marginalized. This week, we must say, particularly our LGBTQ friends and our indigenous and native friends. So this God comes to the world, not in seats of power, but born of refugees, not in a palace, but in a feeding trough, because there was no room in the inn as Advent bids us to remember, as Christmas bids us to remember. Of course, for better or for worse, it's hard to escape preparation for Christmas in the 21st century uh, in America. Uh, I think Haley's Prayer of Lament kind of reminded us of that, of everything being on sale. And much of the hubbub and the sentimentality, I I really don't mind, actually. I think it's unfair and self-important when uber-religious people thumb their noses as if their observance of this season is so much purer. But at the same time, there is a lot of the hubbub and the sentimentality that I do thumb my nose at, as it takes the name of God in vain, right? Takes Christmas in vain with the expectations and weights it places on working people who are exhausted. And the performative being celebrated over true humility being celebrated. You are likely no different. You probably have your own joys and warm feelings combined with annoyances and pet peeves and triggers about this season. Here, I'm going to send you over here, young man. I love you. <clears throat> Why don't you go and check out on Mama? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you likely have both of those as well. Uh, even so, I find the annual rhythm of trying to return myself to be formed again and again by Advent and by Christmas to be so good for me and good for the world. And we have a specific theme for Brownline Church for this year's observance. It is economic justice and the Bible's two Christmas stories. That is what we are going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Let me address the second part of that first, the Bible's two Christmas stories. I wonder if that's something you've actually considered before, that there isn't there isn't actually a Christmas story. The Bible contains two different Christmas stories, or Jesus' birth narratives, as the scholars call them. There's Matthew's, that's the one with the wise men and the fleeing to Egypt. And then there's Luke's, that's the one with the manger and the shepherds. The other two Gospels, Mark and John, that tell the story of Jesus, and then all of the letters that are attributed to St. Paul and friends that make up the rest of the New Testament, don't actually have anything about Jesus' birth in them, in their portraits of God. Jesus, like, what's kind of amazing is that it's, maybe it's a, it's a topic for another time, but there's actually no evidence that Paul knew anything about Christmas, which is fascinating. Uh, but what we do have in the Bible is a Matthew narrative and a Luke narrative about the birth of Jesus. And they're different, and they don't neatly fit together, and they even conflict. New Testament scholars Marcus Borg and John Dominic Croson suggest that the Matthew and Luke birth accounts are prologues, or like overtures, 
to their respective gospels. You know, the preface that's at the beginning of the book that sets up everything you're about to read. Matthew, in his story of the Christmas story, setting up the claim that he is going to make about Jesus in his gospel. And then separately, Luke, in his Christmas story, is setting up the claim he is about to make in his gospel about Jesus. The details are not consistent with each other, but the details are consistent with the claims they're making in their respective gospels. So traditionally, we're familiar with this engagement of one Christmas story that weaves the Matthew and the Luke story together with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and the animals all there together by the manger. And we're so familiar, we're we're not even aware that it's a combining of two different, not always cohesive stories. That weaving together is beautiful. It's totally fine in, in its own right. Like We've used that weaving together story for our annual Christmas carol service for years, and I think it powerfully speaks to this incarnational God that we're talking about, who's not distant from humanity, not a conquering king, but is a humble child for whom there was no room in the inn. I think that's a beautiful story. It's fantastic. And also, there are some more angles to see when we take this different approach. When we don't try to connect the Matthew and Luke birth accounts together, but instead we connect Matthew's birth account to Matthew's larger gospel and Luke's birth account to Luke's larger gospel. That's what we're going to try to do together for Advent this year. We're going to spend some time with Luke first, and then we're going to switch, and we're going to spend some time with Matthew, and we're going to work two analogies to help us see the uniqueness of each. So we're going to work this analogy that Luke is a protest song, and Matthew is a subversive drama. Luke is a song, Matthew is a drama. Both are important to first century oppressed Jewish people trying to make sense of life and survive or resist under the thumb of a cruel, unforgiving empire that is Rome. So put another way, we have Luke is like this we shall overcome song, sung at a demonstration, right? You sing a song at a demonstration or a march to steal yourself, to enact change from the margins. But then on the other side, we also need Matthew, which is like Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, okay? Where we like, where he elaborates creatively on a shared history and as loudly as possible wants to put that out there to make a subversive point. Both of these are really important Both of these we use to come against the status quo or a conquering empire. One is out in the open. It attempts to engage uh, and enact change from the margins. We're singing it loudly. And the other is kind of sneaking a message in to the most central place possible. It's a drama, but it's kind of saying something subversive. You don't realize it until you're fully in it. So we have this out in the open protest song and this sneaky subversive drama of Matthew. We'll talk about how these overlapped We'll talk about the distinctions between these two and how they might apply to our world as we look ahead uh, in, in, in the, the, the next couple weeks here of Advent. Let me take the other side of what I said our theme is. We're talking about two Christmas stories. The other side of this is economic justice, economic justice and the Bible's two Christmas stories. The angles that we think are revealed when we look at the Bible's two Christmas stories separately are the economic and political and social implications of Jesus. Again, from our New Testament scholar guides for this series, their names are Borg and Croson, they suggest the more you immerse yourself in the world of first century Palestine under Roman rule, this is the world that Jesus was born into, the more you immerse yourself in that world, the more you can't unsee the economic and political and social implications behind Matthew's and Luke's gospels. Do you know that before Jesus ever existed, 
there were individuals in the Roman world of the New Testament who were referred to with the titles Lord and Son of God, Redeemer of the world, even Savior from sin, and even God incarnate. They, these titles were applied to someone. They were applied to the Caesar, the Roman emperor. But somewhere along the line, those titles start to be applied to a Jewish peasant, Jesus. That's quite a statement, politically, socially, economically. This Jewish oppressed person peasant is all of those things that supposedly the Caesar, the emperor is. And we'll get into what this means as we go across these, these next several weeks. We hope that this kind of you know, piques your interest. But essentially, we have a confrontation between two different programs for peace, two different programs for bringing, bringing people together. We have Caesar's program and Jesus's program, the empire's program and Jesus's program, the kingdom of God. Caesar's peace through victory, peace through violence, which is no peace at all, versus Jesus's peace through justice, which is an actual peace. We have cross-building versus cross-bearing. Rome versus the kingdom of God. Caesar is Lord versus Jesus is Lord. Now, we don't today have an emperor. We don't have a Caesar. So we'll be doing some translation, some interpretation to our 21st century American context to collectively wonder what are the broken programs for peace in our world today, which are actually no peace at all because they engage in domination and they engage in economic and political and social violence and exploitation. If we can identify those, what it is for us today, we can identify the economic and political and social implications of these Christmas stories and of Jesus as told by Matthew and by Luke. That's what we're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to look at next week at Luke we're going to look the following week at Matthew, and then on December 18th, we will have our Christmas carol service uh, together, which we've reconfigured our, our readings uh, to read the Matthew narrative as a unit and then the Luke narrative as a unit. And this is always one of our favorite services of the year. That's December 18th, our Christmas carol service. So how you can participate uh, over these three, four weeks of Advent uh, is what we're going to do is uh, first, we encourage you to join us on Sunday mornings. As I mentioned, we'll go Luke, then we'll go to Matthew, we'll have our Christmas carol service, and then the following Sunday is Christmas, and so we won't actually meet together that day, but we will release uh, a reflection that morning that Haley and I prepare for our community to engage on their own as they have time uh, that Christmas weekend. You can engage in an audio uh, version of it, or you can engage in a video version of it on YouTube. So that's what to expect as we look ahead in December. And then the second way that you can participate here, besides just Sunday mornings, is we're going to be releasing our Advent Mealtime Prayers resource. And this is uh, a, a little document that will come out every Sunday. And what it will, what is it encouraging you to do is to have a mealtime of reflection and prayer with roommates or with friends or with your family. And it's going to suggest some, uh, some embodied things that you can do. Like if you have an Advent wreath, you can light a candle. It's going to suggest some uh, prayers that you can try together. Uh, we'll be using O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the, the hymn, uh, the Christmas hymn, as our prayer for uh, these Advent mealtime uh, prayers. And then it's going to uh, have some reflection questions that you can engage in. These are best engaged in community. So with a friend from church or with roommates together or with your family around a meal. Uh, and so that's why we encourage them to be mealtime prayers. It's a time when everybody's kind of sitting at the same table and you can try these together. If you're participating in our BLC communal matches, 
perhaps you can plan to do one of these with uh, whoever you're matched with. Or if you have kids, we highly recommend including them. We have tried to make these reflections things that kids of all ages can participate in as well. We'll have uh, recommendations for how you can phrase a reflection question for your kids as well. First one, we'll go out this afternoon. We'll release it on Discord. We'll release it on Instagram. You'll get an email in your inbox if you're on our email list, and that's another way that you can get it. All right, so those are the ways we can participate in Advent this season. We would love for you to try out our Advent mealtime prayers, and we would love for you to join us on Sundays as we talk about economic justice and the two Christmas stories in the Bible. Let me pray for us and then I will pass it over to Haley for one last embodied uh, prayer together as we take communion before closing up. God, thank you for our church community. Thank you as we gather from our distances today, somewhere because of our Thanksgiving holidays, whether we are whether we are at home and didn't go anywhere, but we're sitting in our living room in our pajamas or whether we are somewhere new this weekend and we were with family, or perhaps we're traveling right now and we're watching this after the fact, or we're watching this in the car, wherever it is we are coming from, I pray that as our church pursues this theme, pursues something really specific that's going to try and, and, and challenge us, that's going to try and, uh, and move us out of ourselves to be a part of something important that is economic justice in our world, I pray that you would bind us all together here from our different spaces now. And I pray that uh, the, the, the movement into Christmas rhythms, whether it's singing familiar carols and hymns, whether it is sitting around the table with uh, some decorations around us, whether it's setting up our Christmas trees or whatever it is, that those would move us into a space where we feel deeply connected with you, God, who has more resources than us in the churn of life, in the challenges and the sufferings of life. You have more resources than us. You have more creativity than us. And you offer it freely because you are the God of solidarity who when we sing, come to us, you, are, you come because you are with us at all times. And we need only to tune our minds to pay attention to you. And so we pray, we pray our own hearts to pay attention to where you are and what you are doing and how you are moving and how we as a church can follow you this Advent. In Jesus' name.